Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Well, it is good to be here, and uh, I mean, when, you, when your minister decides to go to Europe for a holiday, you've got to get someone to, to fill in, eh? <laughs> well, that's, today, that's me. Um, could you open the Bible up to Philippians, uh, chapter 1? Just going to be looking at verses 27 to 30 that uh, we had read for us. Um, let, let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that we can meet and uh, even though some of us have never met before, as Christians we are brothers and sisters in Christ and so we can open your word and hear us, hear you speak to us. Please help me to do that to be clear and please make this time in your word an encouragement and blessing to all of us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Have you ever had anyone say to you, now just one thing, you know, you, they're talking to you about this or that. If, for example, I thought this would be a good example, if you imagine you've got a, a son in the USA, in America, and you go over there and you're going to borrow his car and go for a drive and he's explaining this big yank tank to you and then you, you're trying to think about how to drive this huge machine and then he says, remember just one thing. In the US, they drive on the right side of the road. Just one thing. And it's kind of just one thing. If you get that bit of information wrong, well, nothing else matters, does it? All right? You're in trouble. Just one thing. I want to think this morning with you about just one thing. And you think, yeah, every preacher says that and then raves on for a long time. But I'm going to try and get us to think about just one thing. Bring that idea to our passage in Philippians. Think about Philippians. Philippians is, is one of... Paul's favourite churches. He loves these people. He loves this fledgling church. He suffered with them. He suffered for them. They've suffered for and with him. They've partnered together. He's in prison. Um, Philippi is about 1,500 kilometres up in Macedonia from Rome. He's in prison, so they send Epaphroditus down with gifts and hangs around and takes care of him in prison. How good is that? All right? Um, Paul, but Paul doesn't know if he'll ever see them again, so he writes this letter of instruction and encouragement. You can just imagine them gathering around to listen as this letter is read to them. And in verse 27, Paul says, just one thing. Now, the NIV might say, whatever happens, it's the same, isn't it? Dad, when you're driving the car, whatever else you're doing, remember to drive on the right side of the road. The ESV says only. It's another way of saying just there's only one thing that really matters here. In other words, listen up. Listen up, you guys. You're going great as in the Christian life. Paul is thanking them. I'm so thankful for you, but listen up because this one thing will keep you on track through all the difficulties I know you're going to face. Get this part of the Christian life right. And it will help the rest fall into place. Get this wrong, forget this one thing, and every other part of the Christian life will suffer. All right? So, do you want to know what the one thing is? Do you, do you want to be helped in that way? Well, what is it? Verse 27, and I'm, I'm working from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, 
says this, As citizens of heaven, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. If you're a Christian, you're a citizen of heaven. Remember that. Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's interesting, isn't it? We might have expected him to say just one thing. Don't forget that Jesus died and rose again. Uh, Don't forget, never ever worship idols. You can imagine a whole bunch of things he says, but he doesn't say that. He says, remember that you're a citizen of heaven and live in a, a manner of life that is worthy of the gospel. There's a word in this passage that sits behind our translation uh, that comes, it's a verb, it comes from the word citizenship and it's very hard to translate. A literal translation would be something like citizenize. That's a shocking kind of word, isn't it? Citizenize, who says that? Citizenize worthily of the gospel. Um, your, your Bible may even have a footnote about this. But that's one, Paul's one thing. Remember that as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, let's bring it to here now, living in Shepparton, Never forget that you are citizens of heaven. Live in Shepparton in a manner worthy of heaven, worthy of Christ. In this letter to the Philippians, that idea of citizenship sort of hangs in the background as you read through the letter. He introduces it here, the idea, it it hangs in the background and it comes up again uh, in chapters 3 and 4. Chapter 3, verse 20, which I think we read but our citizenship is in heaven from, where we, from which we also eagerly wait for a saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. So worthy citizenship is Paul's just one thing. What's citizenship about? It's about loyalty, isn't it? It's about allegiance. It's about where your sense of security rests, where your hope lies. Have you ever noticed, I don't know, if there might be uh, immigrant people here, new Australians here, but, but people who've migrated to Australia, when they talk about home, they talk about where they came from, don't they? Because, yeah, they're living here, but the place that still carries their values and the language they understand best, everything that makes them tick is back somewhere else. And so they talk about, they feel like they belong there, they call that home. Well, heaven is our home because that's where our Lord and Saviour is. That's, heaven is the place where all the stuff that, that matters to us but keeps being contradicted, the things we believe, in heaven that's all true. Heaven's our, that's, that's, when we get to heaven we'll go, oh, right. all this stuff I've been trying to hang on to all my life, it's all here. I don't have to struggle anymore. It's all here. It's, I'm home. Paul says, remember that, remember that. It'll help keep you on track. Now, this idea of uh, citizenship was really big in Philippi. Um, Philippi had a long history with the Roman Empire. A hundred years before when this letter was written, uh, Octavian, known as Caesar Augustus, granted this little Macedonian city of Philippi, the status of a Roman colony. There was a famous battle that was fought and won there. They, they said that Philippi, when you're in Philippi, it was like Rome away from Rome. That's how strong it was. If you were a citizen in the Roman Empire, 
that meant great privilege, great status. But there was a dark side to Roman citizenship and it was the cult of Rome. It was the worship of the emperor. If you wanted to enjoy citizenship in Philippi, you had to go to the, the, the icons of Nero dotted around the town and you had to worship him. They, you know, they had a phrase, a description for Nero. You know what it was? Lord and Saviour. Lord and Saviour. So you can start to see the problem, can't you? <laughs> um, Christians under Nero were told to worship Nero, be a citizen of Philippi, a citizen of Rome, but Christians knew that Nero isn't Lord and Saviour. He's just a man. Jesus came, he died, he rose again, he ascended, he defeated death, he's got all authority and, and power, so he's Lord and Saviour. There's a problem, isn't it, for us? We live in a country, uh, in a world that requires our allegiance, but, but we know that Jesus is Lord. In, in Philippi, this meant your freedom. You get locked up if you say that kind of thing. So this was their challenge. Their citizenship is in heaven, from which they waited the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, just one thing, citizenise worthily of the gospel, he had all their attention. Because they go, what? <laughs> this is going to get me into trouble. <laughs> and this is, you're just one thing? Man, Paul, couldn't you just say something else? No, nah, worship Jesus, not Caesar. Have your eyes on heaven, not on Rome. It's hard for us, isn't it? We live in a very comfortable part of the world. There's a lot of stuff here. Isn't it hard to keep your eyes on heaven when you live in a place like Australia where we have everything that opens and shuts? But Paul says to us, as he said to them, this is a, this is a key, this is a secret to keeping on track. You know, the Christians in Philippi, they lived in a pre-Christian pagan world. We live in a post-Christian pagan world. We can all remember when Australia was kind of Christian. It wasn't that long ago, it was kind of yesterday. <laughs> and it's all disappearing. It was tough in Philippi and it's getting tougher for us. So this uh, advice from Paul is important. Our, our culture, our society has rejected the truth, now believes almost anything. The goalposts of belief and freedom keep shifting constantly. I wonder how are you going? Living in Shepparton as a follower of Jesus on a scale of 1 to 10. You know, 1 is smashing it out of the park and 10 is, I can hardly even hold the bat up. How are you going living the Christian life. Well, uh, let's have a look at what Paul says to us. Why is this one thing um, a good idea? i tell you how I think it works. Um, I think it kind of operates as a bit of a true north for us, a, a spiritual true north, okay? I, when I was um, 
a young bloke, I spent, I think, four years, three years in the Army Reserve. We used to do a lot of orienteering, like navigating in the bush, and we used to do it at night. And I can tell you, it's pretty hard, um, given a map, and you've got to find your way in the dark with a map to some place 10 kilometres away, and it's all in the bush. How do you do it? You're bumping into trees, you can't see where you're going. I tell you what you do, you lift your eyes and you look for a star. And you get your compass and you put your compass on that and you keep that, because you, if it's a long trick, you've got to keep moving stars because the stars move, otherwise you go crooked. But you look above the mess, you see, you look above the mess and you look to the one thing that won't change. The one thing you can always see, doesn't work on a cloudy night, but the one thing you can always see I think that's what Paul's saying to us here. Um, Heaven is where Jesus is. Keep your eyes on him. Keep your eyes on heaven. Don't lose focus. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget where your loyalty lies. Don't forget where your hope and salvation comes from. Don't forget that that's your home. We can get so caught up, can't we, with the difficulties of here and now. What we do, raising our kids, paying the bills, serving at church, there's always so much to do that we can just drop our eyes down into the weeds, into the bush and lose our way. Like I said, Australia's a pretty good place to live. I I think we've got it better than Solomon, you know. Air conditioning, espresso coffee, battery-operated power tools. Solomon never had any of that. Why do I need heaven? Well, I can tell you why we need heaven. It tells us there that those who drop their eyes short are destined for destruction. So, Paul says, keep your eyes on heaven. I need, you know, in the midst of my soft, pleasureful life, it's easy to forget my sin. It's easy to forget I need saving. It's easy to forget I have a king who lived and died and rose a king who waits to bring me home. So we've got to keep our eye there. Paul says that having this focus will lead us to three important outcomes. So here's how this works. Please pick it up with me, verse 27. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. He says, Just one thing. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent... I will hear about you that, now we get to the result of living as citizens of heaven, you are standing firm in one spirit and in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. They're great things, aren't they? United in one spirit, contending for the truth of the gospel and not being frightened by the difficulties we face. Do you want that? Well, Paul says... Keep your eyes on heaven. So let's, let's think about it. You know, when you think about it, there are three things the churches always struggle with. Standing united, contending for the faith. They let it slip so easily. We can let it slip. And just being frightened. People walked away from the faith in Philippi. They didn't want to end up in prison. I get that. Fact is that Christians have struggled in every age with this. So, what about us? Don't worry, don't worry about them. 
What about us? Let's see what Paul's saying. So he's saying, firstly, worthy gospel citizens stand firm united. Because the gospel itself unites us under one king. Unity is always a challenge, isn't it? Or is this the only church that's never had a challenge? In this? Is, it, is it always a challenge? If, if you don't understand why it's a challenge, can I just get you to turn your head and look around? Just look at each other and you'll realise why unity is a challenge. Okay? Uh, we're all different. We're different ages. There's men and women, uh, different life experiences, completely different personalities, completely different interests in life. Right? What a bunch. Like, if it wasn't for you guys being Christians and part of Exchange Church, you probably wouldn't hang out at all, would you? Some of you might, but probably not. I certainly wouldn't have met any of you. How do we be united? Big question. But you see, it's not up to us. (laughs) It's not left to us. The great underlying truth, the extraordinary reality for every believer here this morning is that Jesus is our peace. Peace with God and peace with one another. We are one in Christ. We're united by one spirit that dwells in all of his people. We're not united because, you know, as the song goes, we are Australian. We're we're not. That's not not it. Um, But because we all have one Lord and Saviour and are indwelt by his spirit. Ephesians 2 says that we were separated from God separated from one another, but because of the forgiveness, the reconciliation that Jesus won for us on the cross, now it says this about us, we're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens. In fact, members of God's household. See, this is the real basis which Paul can tell us to stand firm in one spirit with one mind. You see, the key to unity is to be in Christ renewed by him, but not just that, renewed by him and then focused on him. Focused on him, his purposes, his will, what he's done for you. When the person next to you is irritating the life out of you, you think, yeah, but Jesus dealt with that. We navigate the difficult terrain of unity by constantly referencing back to Jesus who's in heaven And we remember, oh, we're united in Jesus as citizens of heaven. So let's live like that here and now. And that's not our culture, is it? Our culture says that you're all individuals. I'm an individual and, in fact, you know, life is all about me. It's not about you, it's about me. The trouble is you sit there and you point and you go, no, no, Bruce, it's all about me. It doesn't work. What a mess. What a mess. And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not all about you. It's all actually all about me, Jesus. To survive, to be effective, to be united, we need to remember that Jesus is our peace. He's our unifier. With that unity of spirit and purpose, Paul says, um, we can move forward. Then he says, we are also worthy citizens Contend for the faith of the gospel. Contend for the faith of the gospel. That word contend has behind it the idea of athletics. Contending literally means something like athleticised together. Okay? Um, 
Again, a terrible word. This is why they never gave me the job of translation. The Bible just read like mud. Um, but, you know, when, when you, you, you do athletics together, you're in a team together. Worthy gospel citizens work together. They fight alongside one another to defend the faith of the gospel. Now, notice it's the faith of the gospel. So that the faith of the gospel is like the body of truth that makes up the gospel. So, you know, you might think of it as all those ION words, you know, election, redemption, sanctification, justification. All those truths make up the gospel and all those truths come from the, from the scriptures and so we contend together for the truth that makes up this wonderful gospel that Jesus is Lord and Saviour. You know, if there's one constant in the Bible, it is the battle over truth. Did God really say or not? That's the original sinner's question, isn't it? The Old Testament prophets faced it. Jesus faced it. So do we. Did God really say that or not? God's people have always had to defend God's truth. And it's not a game you play alone. No, you contend together. Together. Must be like a rugby team. Ever seen a rugby team? Not like AFL teams. They're all different shapes and sizes. Do you know why? Because each one has a specific place in the scrum, in the game. They all bring their difference to the game. And what's our game? Contending for the faith of the gospel. There's a young boy at, named Sam at our church, and I remember he, he, his dad's name's Tim. He, he, said, you know, he said, you know what Sam said to me today? I said, what? He said, Sam said, I like God, but I like Santa better because he gives me things. Gives me nice presents. And Tim goes, oh. now Tim's a good guy, right? He, they don't believe in Santa and he thinks, where'd this come from? Right? He, he and his wife contend for the gospel. They're trying to raise their kids. But, but that's what he said. Um, just think about that little boy, Sam. See, the issue is, is that he lives in a world that has a different mindset, different set of values and priorities than us. And so he's learned a lie from the world, and that is that Santa is better than God. Now, if he keeps believing that lie, he'll end up believing the material things are more important than things in heaven. He'll end up in hell, right? How is Sam going to learn the truth? Well, his mum and dad are going to teach it. They're already doing that. But what Sam needs is a community of people around him who athleticise the truth together, who live the truth, play the truth, demonstrate the truth. He needs to see, Sam needs to see at our church, us, in us, the priorities of people whose citizenship is in heaven. People who not only don't believe in Santa, but know that God is better than Santa. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't have a community around him that athleticizes the gospel, contends for him and with him, he's in trouble. We've got to, but we've got to do that together. That's what church is about, contending for the truth together, correcting one another. Friends, now more than ever, because our society is clearly and decidedly 
walking away from Christian truth. We've got to be vigilant. We must be energetic. We must see it as our job to contend together for the gospel. I wonder, have you ever played rugby? Probably not. You Victorians, you play that other game. What are they called? Aerial ping pong, they call it? Something like that? Um, but rugby is all about teamwork. Have you ever seen a rolling ball in rugby? You, ca- you can't see the ball, but it's in there, and they just roll. Every member of the team is either in that rolling ball or beside it, all going forward together. I think that's a great picture. The ball is the gospel. We've got to move the gospel forward, and we've got to do it together. Well, the third result of us being worthy gospel citizens is standing firm together. Um, uh, Sorry, is that we will not be frightened. Are you ever frightened? Are you ever scared? Um, Because you're a Christian and the world isn't. Verse 28 says, Not being frightened in any way by your opponents. These people in Philippi had plenty plenty of opponents. Their church began amid persecution At the birth of their church, Paul and Silas were whipped and put in prison. You can read it in in Acts. Suffering for the gospel was real for them. With that context in mind, look at verse 29. It has a real sting in the tail. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf or has been given to you or gifted to you on Christ's behalf not only to believe in him but also to suffer for him. Isn't that great? You go, what? (laughs) We love the gifts of God, salvation, forgiveness, a home in heaven. There's one more gift, sorry, just one more. It's suffering. Suffering. Jesus can never be accused of false advertising. He said, if you want to follow me, you're going to suffer. If you want to follow me, it's going to be hard. Allegiance to me means trouble with the world. It's the same for us, I think. He says, the face, in the face of opposition and suffering, if we keep our heads clear as worthy citizens, we will not be frightened. Now, frightened here it doesn't actually mean fear. It doesn't mean you'll never be afraid. Now, frightened is actually a, a word that describes when a horse gets startled. You know, ever ridden a horse um, riding along and something startles them and they jump from one side to the other? That's, that's the word that's being used. Paul's saying if you understand that you belong somewhere else, if you understand what you believe, you hang on to the truth and your community is with you and behind you, nothing's going to surprise you. You'll know the truth that the world's against you, so when it's against you, it won't surprise you. You'll expect it. You'll be ready for it. You'll have a bunch of people in the rugby mall with you. You won't be frightened. And you know that if worse comes to worse and they chop off your head, you get to go home. How good is that? If you face it together, you will even come to see it as a gift from God. You know, James says that we give thanks for the trials we have because they build our faith so that we're ready for the next one. Paul says that, um, that this is what happened. For him, in prison. Just look up at verse 14. See the effect that Paul's suffering had on his Christian friends. Look at verse 14. Most of the brothers in the Lord have gained confidence from my imprisonment. 
and dare even more to speak the message fearlessly. Paul's point is that pulling together as worthy citizens as a church in the face of suffering will grow each other's courage. As we see each other having a crack, we share our faith, get punched in the nose, come along and tell everyone and go, oh, I'm going to do it too. (laughs) I want to recommend a book to you. It's called Fleeing Isis, Finding Jesus. Um, It's the story of Christians living through the brutality and terror of ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Listen to the experience of a young pastor named Samir. Samir says, I was not brave when I was younger. I only learned how to be brave four years ago when the man who discipled me was killed. Nobody knows who killed him and we just found his dead body. For some people it taught them how to be scared, not me, it taught me to be brave. What happened with ISIS has made me realise that there's no meaning in physical things. All that we have could be gone in a minute. Only the things of God last. He saw his, he saw his Christian mentor die for his faith and he thought, you know what, he had it right. I'm ready to do that too. The courage of his friend helped him remember that he's a citizen of heaven. We are citizens of an eternal kingdom. The Lord of heaven and earth is our king and saviour. We need to not be afraid. Together as worthy gospel citizens, we can have a great gospel impact on our community. When we're not, not frightened by it, when we're ready for it and we have the right answer. So as I finish, a couple of questions. Can I encourage you, as the Apostle Paul does, to think about your true citizenship? Because that is what will determine the direction of your life. If you're looking at that star above the trees, above the mess of life, that'll keep your direction, won't it? Take your eyes off it. Where will you end up? Are you focused on things, enticing, pleasurable things that Australia has to offer as citizens of Australia? Or are you looking to your home homeland, longing to go there with your allegiance, allegiance and hopes set on Jesus? As Samir said, all things, all the things we we have could be gone in a minute. Only the things of God last. As this passage says, destruction awaits everyone and everything that is not of God, not of Jesus. Please sort out and be sure of your citizenship. So important. And for all of you who know you are and thankful to be citizens of heaven through the gospel, make sure, make, make sure it's the one thing that you do not lose sight of. Live worthily of Christ. United together, contending for the faith together, helping one another to be courageous for the sake of the gospel. Let me pray. Father, as we read about people like Samir, we stand in in awe and we wonder whether we could be like that. But we thank you, Lord, that you're with us as you're with him. The truth of the gospel goes with us as it goes with him. So please help us, Lord. Um, Fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to put him first and others next. Um, Lord, help us to 
live this life while we're on our way home with our eyes firmly fixed on Christ who is in heaven. We ask it in his name and for his help. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us. 